How you get so much favor on your side? Accept the measure, Lord and Savior, I replied. That's your love, that neighbor, not divide. I'm a ride, that's on God. His light shine the brightest in the dark. Single mothers know they got my heart. We are back for another episode of Sports Tonight with Smith on OWWR Web Radio. I'm your host, Smith Brickner, and I welcome you from the Old Westbury Web Radio station here at SUNY Old Westbury. It is a chilly evening, to say the least. And on top of that, we had daylight savings for what I was reliably informed and told is that it's the last time that we are ever doing daylight savings. So amidst the darkness, the literal darkness at, oh, I don't know, five o'clock in the afternoon, there there is light at the end of the tunnel. Oh man, I'm just full of puns today. Unintentional puns. You know, the unintentional puns are always the best puns, right? I, I didn't even think of that ahead of time. But it's when I pre-plan a pun, it never hits. But when I don't pre-plan a pun, it hits. So, but thank you all again for listening. We're almost, we're a month into this show, which is, I mean, that's, that's unfathomable. And I hear from some of my friends that I didn't even think were on Facebook or Twitter at this point that have told me that they listen to the show either live or on Spotify. You can listen to the show on Spotify after the show is complete. I'll put the entire recording on Spotify so you can listen Sports Tonight with Smith. It's very easy to find on Spotify. And they tell me that they listen to it on their ride home from work or the train into the city the next day. And that really means a lot. You have no idea how much it means so thank you all again for your continued support. It really does mean a lot to know that people like to listen to me and like to hear me give my terrible takes on a lot of things. And believe me, I'm sure there are plenty of bad takes that I've given along the way. And again, I'm going to say this every week because I, I really don't know where else you're listening to this besides the TuneIn app. But hey, if you're listening to this anywhere besides the TuneIn app, give us a call. Let me know where you're calling or listening from, rather. 516-876-4964. And then oh, while you're at it, you should go ahead and follow OWWR on Facebook at OWWR, on Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at OWWRNY. And be sure to check out the schedule for all the live content here at the radio station by going to OWWRNY.org. There'll be a big button that says schedule. You'll get the entire week's schedule all the DJs, all the talk shows, all the news shows, all the sports talk shows. You'll get it all. We've got a jam-packed show for you guys tonight. I have a little bit of a unique segment one hour in at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. We're going to do a little bit of World Cup coverage. What? Yes. World Cup is coming up in uh, 11 days. <laughs> it's one of those events that just kind of creeps up on you. You don't really realize that you're right there, but we are on the precipice of World Cup football for the first time in about four and a half years, if you recall, the 2018 World Cup in July of 2018. So we are getting close to that four and a half year mark. 
It's it's wild to think. So we're going to have a special segment. I'm going to have a special guest. I'm uh, going to keep it a surprise as to who's coming on. Um, but it's a good friend of mine, and I, I think it's going to be an exciting segment. But we've got plenty to talk about besides the World Cup today. We've got to talk about the World Series, right? We haven't really talked about the World Series since the World Series was decided at this time last week. It looked like the Phillies might win the World Series. And then the Astros reminded us why they're the Astros. So I'll start with the Astros because it's the thing that I think is is most interesting to talk about. When you look at this series in totality, I don't think there was a question who the better team was. The Astros were the better team, and the better team won. And that's, frankly, how it should be. Now, that's also why we have the playoffs. Because if you're good enough to make it to the playoffs and you're not necessarily the best team in the regular season but you get into a hot streak like the Phillies have for the last three weeks, things can happen. You can beat the Braves. You can beat the Padres. You can even beat the Dodgers, as the Padres did. And it just takes a few of your stars, in the case of the Phillies, to cause a ruckus, which is what they did. Their stars came through in biblical proportions throughout the entire postseason. Mostly by Bryce Harper, but you had contributions from JT Realmuto, Kyle Schwarber, even Nick Cassianos towards the end. And then on the pitching side, obviously, you had guys like Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler really shove, as well as a few guys in their bullpen who were much blind up until the playoffs and really delivered up until the World Series. So it's a feel-good story that the Phillies got there. They clearly were not the best team in the National League, but that does not matter. I think what does matter is that the best team in baseball did win the World Series. If you look at the Astros lineup, there are going to be some guys that you're not all that familiar with. That does not mean they're not good. The Astros are deep, one through nine in their lineup. They're deep, one through five in their rotation. They're deep, one through eight in their bullpen. Now, here's the thing. You can give credit to the Astros without acknowledging that this is a makeup and make up for all the nonsense that happened in 2017. They can be separate things because I'll tell you this, okay? Every single baseball person I've talked to says that 2017 was essentially just rearing of the cheating scandal's ugly head. Because every team in baseball cheats. To some extent, every team in baseball cheats. I had multiple people tell me that that work for teams. I've had multiple people tell me that that work for publications that are very well connected to teams. So every team cheats. But the Astros took it 25%, give or take, more than any other team. And that's the issue. And they absolutely use technology to cheat, which is also another big no-no. And their players were borderline agnostic and apathetic when confronted with this. The only reason that they came clean was because the commissioner of baseball granted them immunity from suspension. So... Just because I'm acknowledging that the Astros won the World Series 
legitimately this time does not discount the fact that they 100% cheated in 2017. And players like Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa undoubtedly contributed and benefited from cheating in 2017. I also need to say this, though. A lot of the players that were on that 2017 team are not here. Carlos Correa is gone. Carlos Beltran is gone. Right? Josh Reddick, gone. Go through that lineup and tell me how many of those players on the Astros were on the 2017 team. Jordan Alvarez was not. Jordan Alvarez would not be up on the major league team for another two years. So we're not saying that the Astros have redeemed themselves. Like I think some people, some apologists in Houston have claimed that's bogus. It's also bogus to say that this isn't a legitimate World Series either because I've also seen that claim. It's clear as day that the Astros were the better team than the Phillies. And going back to the Phillies for a second, because there's another point I want to make with the Phillies here. I talked about their star power and how important that was going to be because they're not a deep team. Well, let me just give you some numbers on three of their most pivotal players in the World Series. Bryce Harper. We think he had this incredible postseason, and he, and he did. But in the World Series, he hit his slash line, batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage. His slash line was 200, 360, 400. 760 OPS. If you extrapolate that over the course of a regular season, he's about uh, 15 to 20% above average hitter. Nine times out of 10, you'll take that. Bryce Harper, that's not good enough. Not good enough when you're playing the Astros. Aaron Nola, two starts. I know he had dead arm. Or so they say he had dead arm. Two starts, 8.64 ERA. Almost gave up a run per inning. Zach Wheeler, 5.23 ERA. That's the risk you run when you have a top-heavy team. You end up relying on your best players too much. This is the same exact thing that happened with Garrett Cole in the ALCS. You were hoping that you could get really good outings out of Luis Severino. That did not happen against the Astros. You were hoping that someone else would step up in the bullpen besides Clay Holmes, Juani Peralta, and Jonathan Loizaga. That really did not happen. You were hoping that Aaron Judge would not be the only catalyst for the Yankees' offense. Well, that didn't happen, but Aaron Judge wasn't even that good. So there's a lot of similarities to the Yankees and Phillies, as I've tried to argue in past shows. The Phillies were a better, a current, I'll say currently better version of the Yankees than the Yankees were. I think if the Yankees and Phillies played each other over the course of 162 games, I think the Yankees would be the better team. But the Phillies just did a better job than the Yankees at their own game, relying on their stars, hoping they carry them, and see what happens. The difference between the Phillies and Yankees is 
the number two because the Phillies won two games against the Astros that the Yankees did not. And we're going to talk about the Yankees. We're going to talk about what Brian Cashman said at the general manager meetings that are currently going on in Las Vegas. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but boy, it's not pretty. At least in my opinion, I'm, I'm frankly a little outraged at some of the things that were said. We will get into that. But the Astros are going to have some difficult decisions to make here in the coming years. Their general manager slash president of baseball operation, James Click, is on the fence for returning and not his call, but he apparently got a one-year offer from ownership. James Click does not have a contract right now for the Astros, and he just came off a World Series. He's done an amazing job acting as a firefighter, putting out all the fires in that organization after the cheating scandal and after Jeff Luno was fired. He's done a remarkable job. And it just seems like ownership is disinterested in keeping him around. And the talk around town is that it's a byproduct of ownership wanting more influence on baseball decisions. I can promise you for a fact that whenever ownership gets more involved in decisions, it never goes well. So the Astros might as well be digging their own grave at this point if that's really true. And it sure seems like it is because James Click is without a contract. I've never seen a team go through a World Series and then not extend their general manager. Like That just makes no sense to me whatsoever. But this is what owners do. Owners get egotistical. They think that World Series or Super Bowls are a byproduct of their geniusness when in reality they just empowered people, a.k.a. other geniuses, to put those teams together. One reason why the Yankees have been good enough to make the playoffs in years past and why the Patriots are so good all the time is they've got really smart people that know what they're doing running the operation. Right? There's been some meddling in years past with the Yankees and ownership and Uta Sanj, Kobe Ellsbury, Brian McCann really stand out there. But at the same time, they've largely left it up to Brian Cashman. And I think Brian Cashman has been very good for the most part. Right? We'll get into, we'll get into that. But my point is when owners start wanting to make decisions on their own because they think that they know better than the front office, then that's a problem. And it sure seems like, based off what we're seeing in the reports, that's what's going on in Houston. Now, they have to resign Justin Verlander. That's also going to be another question. Does Verlander return to Houston? I think the answer is yes. If I was a betting man, which, again, I'm not, I would go I would go with the Astros. I would go with the Astros. The Phillies, on the other hand... They really have a lot of long-term commitments, which is good and bad. Good because this team largely comes back next year. Bad because there's really not much flexibility if you want to get on the luxury tax threshold, which, to be clear, I don't really think that should be a goal for any team that's trying to compete. So the Phillies will be around. They'll be around to compete with whatever the Mets look like and whatever the Braves look like next season. I think it will be the most competitive division in baseball. And I wonder if Philadelphia will be in on one of those shortstops in this 
loaded shortstop class. There is one player that will not be on the free agent market, though, and that's Edwin Diaz. That's right, Edwin Diaz signing an extension with the Mets. What was that contract extension? What are the implications? We'll get into all that and more here on Sports Tonight with Smith after this break. Here at OWWR Old Westbury Web Radio, we are searching for new students who want to further their knowledge about radio production and programming. Whether you want to engineer, have your own show, or you're simply interested in being involved, OWWR Old Westbury Web Radio has what you're looking for. If you want to see what OWWR has to offer, come to the top floor of the Student Union in room 328. Give us a call at 516-628-5059 or visit us online at OWWRNY.org. The All-Westbury women's basketball team is back on the court for their first game of the season. Show your Panther pride on Friday, November 11th, as the Panthers face off against the Ramapo Roadrunners. Tip-off is at 7 o'clock p.m. in Mawa, New Jersey. A team success begins with the support of their fans, so come out and cheer on your Lady Panthers. That's November 11th, 7 o'clock p.m. at Ramapo. For more information, visit OldWestburyPanthers.com. That's OldWestburyPanthers.com. Olivia from Washington. Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. You're listening to OWWR, Old Westbury Web Radio. Tonight with Smith, 719 here on the East Coast. Well, I brought it up before. I left you on a cliff there. I was told by a reliable person that I trust very much that I need to have, have a little bit more suspense when I go to commercial break. What am I going to talk about next? <gasps> right. And... I think there's an I, I think there's some validity to that, but I think if you do it all the time, it also loses its effect. So I I try to spice it up. I try to mix it up for you guys. So I left on a cliff that time. Doesn't mean I'm gonna leave you on a cliff every time. I, I think that's a fair trade-off, right? Sports Night with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. I mentioned before that I was going to talk about Edwin Diaz and the contract extension that he got. It's going to be five years and 
I believe, $102 million. That's a big contract. <laughs> that's, that's the analysis. It's a big contract. The biggest contract ever given to a reliever, and it goes to Edwin Diaz. And I'm here for it. I am here for it. Listen, I have heard every argument around the sun against this contract. Here's the simple answer. Pay good players. When you have the richest owner in baseball, nobody cares what your payroll is. Like, it, it, it should not matter if your payroll is... Like, if you have an owner that's worth $14 billion, it should not matter if your team payroll is $256 million or $356 million. Like, it really shouldn't. So the people that are saying that this is going to limit the Mets and limit their ability to spend on other players, does this take them out of the Jacob DeGrom retention sweepstakes? Guys, if you're saying that, I think you're focusing on the wrong details here. Ownership, specifically Steve Cohen, has shown a willingness to spend. Now, I'm sure there's a limit to that spending. But at the same time, you're still talking about one of the richest owners in baseball, and there really is no difference except the tax that you pay on that 356 versus 256. If Steve Cohen is serious about winning, he has to follow the early 20-teens Dodgers model. What do I mean by that? Do you guys remember when the Dodgers made that seismic trade with the Red Sox? I believe it was in 2012 or 2013 when the Red Sox traded Josh Beckett, Carl Crawford, and the first baseman whose name is evading me. His last name is Gonzalez. I'm going to remember who it is and be really annoyed at myself. They traded all three of those players who were making absurd amounts of money to the Dodgers and basically gave them away because they wanted, they, the Red Sox, wanted those contracts off the book. And the Dodgers were beginning a period of contention. And they said, yeah, uh, we'll take those good players. Thank you very much. We don't care how much they're being paid. We just want good ball players. I mean, what a crazy, crazy thought that is, right? And that was the precipice to greatness for the Dodgers. Ever since then, the Dodgers have been an elite organization. Here's what that move did for the Dodgers. It allowed them to build their major league team to a World Series caliber team. Meanwhile, they did not have to give up any good prospects to do so. And it also empowered them to say, you know what? We can spend more money. Let's just spend more money and add established major league talent. And by doing that, they did not have to trade for really good players that were on team-friendly deals and thus give up top prospects. 
In fact, they retained a lot of their top prospects after that trade because they already had good players on the major league team and they were willing to spend money in free agency. So they took a three or four year hit on the books and lost money in the process. But it set their organization up for the next 20 years. Because when you're in a large market like New York or Los Angeles and you make a sizable initial investment into the organization and you keep the farm system intact, it's creating a pipeline of talent you can utilize for the next decade. So you've got your established talent at the major league level. You've got time and no rush to develop really nice prospects. And during that time for the Dodgers, when they were building out that prospect system, they were hiring some of the brightest minds in player development to enhance and boost their player development processes. If Steve Cohen is serious about Dodgers East, like he says, that is going to be the process. And this is where Edwin Diaz fits in. Edwin Diaz is a perfect example of paying someone a lot of money who is really good to stay in your organization and thus preventing this urge to trade away good prospects for a reliever, which the Mets have shown zero ability to do outside of Edwin Diaz. Every reliever they've traded for besides Edwin Diaz in the last five, six years, I mean, you really have to go back to Tyler Clippard in 2015 to recall the last time that someone not named Edwin Diaz was a good reliever acquisition for the Mets. It just doesn't happen. They're not good at it. They might sign a couple of guys that are pretty good. Adam Adovino was a good signing last year, right? But even Trevor May was okay when healthy, but when's the last time they actually traded for a reliever that was good? I'm going a bit of a tangent there, but you guys get the idea. And where I'm going with this is that Edwin Diaz cannot be the only guy they sign. Listen, I'd be happy with the Mets if they just brought everyone back and went at it again. And here's why. I don't think the Braves are going to be as good. And that's coming from someone that worked for the Braves. And believe me, I'd rather see the Braves win the division than the Mets. I had tremendous happiness in my heart watching those Mets fans suffer. All right? I admit it. That's my deep, dark secret. I love watching Mets fans suffer. Because the Mets half-heartedly went into that deadline and they did not deserve to win that division because of it. The Braves did the polar opposite. They went all in, and that's what they do. But they are not a crossroads. They do not have Dancy B. Swanson. I don't know if he's coming back. This is the time to pounce, to bring the team back that was here, that won 100-plus games, and maybe add an additional piece on top of that. Right? If If... The 2022 Mets had one more good pitcher. And I'm not talking about Taiwan Walker or Cookie Carrasco. If they had one more legitimately, ver 
one more legitimately very good pitcher, we're having a different discussion about the Mets. I really believe that. So if they brought the entire team back, which will cost more money from a payroll perspective than it did in 2022, and then brought an additional pitcher, why can't you do that? You have the richest owner in baseball. You're in a New York market. I understand your team revenue is just slightly more than half of the Yankees. I get they are not a true New York or L.A. revenue caliber team. I get that, but it's Steve Cohen. And if you are serious about building Dodgers East, which I do believe he's serious about, if you're serious about it, you need to spend money now and not make trades Trading away Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty unless it's Shohei Ohtani. Unless it's a young, super, mega star. You cannot trade these players, these prospects, for very good players. That's not going to cut it. You are better off signing everyone, spending more money, giving your farm system time to cultivate talent, and thus create a pipeline for success two to three years, four years down the line while still remaining competitive now. That's what they have to do. Are they going to do that? I don't know. Edwin Diaz is a good sign. The fact that they're giving the most lucrative reliever contract in history is a good sign. I don't know if they're actually going to do everything, though. Do they re-sign Brandon Nimmo? I would think that's highly unlikely at this point. Do they re-sign Jacob DeGrom? Based off what I've heard, there are other teams out there that are going to be willing to shell out $40 million a year for Jacob DeGrom. And I think all else equal, Jacob DeGrom does not want to be a New York Met. So this idea of being Dodgers East took a step forward recently with this Edwin Diaz extension, but I still have my doubts if that's actually going to be the case this year. I laid out what I would do, right? If you really want to be Dodgers East, you're going to do what I suggested. I have significant questions and doubts as to whether or not they'll actually do that. Do you guys agree with me though? Call me and let me know. 516-876-4964. Again, that's 516-876-4964. Four. You know, even if they don't bring back Brandon Nemo, if they went out and brought back, or not even brought back, but, oh God, if, if they brought in Aaron Judge, right, I think that'd be a perfectly fine trade-off, right? Just a thought. Just a thought. But you could also extend Pete Alonso because he's going to be a free agent before you know it. Now would be a good time to extend him. Now would be a good time to extend Jeff McNeil. Although I don't think the Mets actually think McNeil is that good, which how in the world could you think that? Are they going to go out and get Trey Turner? I don't think so, but I think they could be in play for Dansby Swanson or Carlos Correa. Right? There's the Francisco Lindor, Carlos Correa, Team Puerto Rico connection. They will be playing together in the World Baseball Classic when they played in 2017 on Team Puerto Rico. It was Lindor at shortstop, Correa at third base. That would be the best left side of an infield in baseball without a doubt. 
So you don't necessarily need to bring the team back, but that needs to at l- be the minimum. The bare minimum is bring the team back together with one more pitcher or just, just upgrade. Right? That's also something you can do. So it's going to be a fascinating offseason for the Mets. I have confidence they will spend money. I do not have confidence that the New York Yankees will spend money. And that's a really bad feeling as a Yankees fan. The fact that the Mets might actually outspend the Yankees for a second consecutive season in a row. I can't say I'm surprised with this ownership group, but it is all the while just as disappointing. Sports Tonight with Smith. We'll be right back of these messages. The Old Westbury men's basketball team is facing off against the Hamilton College Continentals in Clinton, New York on Sunday, November 13th. Tip-off is at 2 o'clock p.m. Come out and support your Old Westbury Panthers. That's Sunday, November 13th at 2 o'clock p.m. at Hamilton College. For more information, visit OldWestburyPanthers.com. That's OldWestburyPanthers.com. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. This person keeps texting me random letters. Like what? OMG. Oh, that's oh my gosh. What about TTYL? That's talk to you later. What does OWWR stand for? Old Westbury Web Radio, the best internet college radio station around. Do they have a website? Duh, it's OWWRNY.org. Or you can follow them on social media at OWWRNY. Did you know you're just one photo away from being more connected with the greatest college station in the nation? That's right. OWWR has a Snapchat. Just add us at OWWRNY on Snapchat and get to know our hosts in the studio as they give you news, talk, entertainment, and sports. That's OWWRNY on Snapchat. I am going to spread the news. The news that the Yankees uh, won't spend money, maybe? Yeah, I think that's the news that I'm going to be spreading tonight. On this segment, we're going to talk about the Yankees here. And, oh, gosh. I've not been this disappointed in an initial press conference from Brian Cashman to start an offseason in a long time. I am a Brian Cashman apologist. Unapologetically defended this man and this ownership group because I thought their processes throughout the years has been very sound. And I thought it was just a a lot of bad fortune that prevented this team from making it to the promised land. But 
He just gave a press conference a couple of days ago at the general manager's meetings in Las Vegas that just, it's like, what are you talking about? Like, it's one of those just smack your face. You want to pull your hair out. You want to scream like an old man yelling at the clouds. Why are you saying this? Or how can you defend this? That's what it felt like. It was an absolute joke. And essentially what Brian Cashman said was that he's really proud of his front office's processes. That was a word that was thrown around a lot during this press conference. And every time a general manager talks about good processes after getting rolled by a team in the playoffs, usually predictive of low spending in the offseason. And he didn't just stop there. No, 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 no. He took it a step further. He said that the Yankees would not be involved in the shortstop free agency market. (sighs) Yeah, listen, guys, I try to give you my take on on things. I got nothing for you here. I, I, I honestly don't know what to say at this point. I understand the case for Oswald Peraza. I love Oswald Peraza. I've talked about him on this show before. He was the very first prospect I ever scouted. And when I saw him, I said, this is a guy that is a major league caliber defender at shortstop. You can go back and look at my Twitter. Look at the red, look at the receipts. It was the very first prospect I scouted, and I thought I was just falling in love with the first guy I saw. I thought that maybe I'm a bit biased right now. Maybe I don't know what he looks like compared to other players. Like, I had all those internal doubts, but I stuck true to my convictions. I said, this guy is a major league caliber defensive shortstop at the very least. And he's got a nice swing, so maybe he can actually add some thump Maybe he can go to all fields. And sure enough, Oswald Peraza checked most of those developmental boxes. So if you're looking for processes that the Yankees are good at, they are very good at player development. I will give them credit for that. A lot of the pitchers that have come through their minor league system or that they have acquired off of waivers from other teams where teams are basically giving up on those players, they're excellent at identifying undervalued major league talent, and they're very, very good at developing players, specifically pitchers. They're getting better on the hitting side. So if you want to point at any one thing or two things that the Yankees are good at process-wise, those are it. All that to say, Oswald Peraza and Anthony Volpe, who, spoiler. I don't think Anthony Volpe is a defensive shortstop, but I digress. 
if you're relying on one of those two players to be your starting shortstop on opening day, your process sucks. There, I said it. Your process sucks. And their process has been exposed the past couple of years. Joey Gallo, when he was traded to the Yankees, I said, this is the perfect Yankees acquisition because he's a guy that hits the ball as hard as anyone and struggles to make contact as much as anyone. That is perfect for the Yankees. That's the exact profile they like. And more specifically, the Yankees are very focused on players that, while they have swing and miss issues, they are very good at not chasing out of the zone, right? You look at the comparisons between Gallo, Judge, and Stanton, and to a lesser extent, Aaron Hicks. They're guys that swing and miss a lot within the strike zone. Not good. But they don't chase that much out of the strike zone. That's good. So the Yankees absolutely have an archetype, and that kind of bleeds into their process. Those are the kinds of guys they've identified as, yes, those are the players that we want. And they deviated from that by getting IKF, signing DJ LeMayhew several years back, trading and re-signing Anthony Rizzo last year. But, again, if we're trying to focus on guys that make contact, right, if you want to switch up your process and get guys that make contact that still hit for power and still play really good defense, there's a guy that... Could there just be a guy, maybe, just maybe, that's a free agent right now? Hmm. Oh, yeah, Carlos Correa. Right, like this, this, like it's so simple. It's so stupid simple sometimes that it kind of needs to hit you and and slap you in the face for you to realize it sometimes. But Carlos Correa is sitting out there with no qualifying offer attachment, so you don't have to give up draft picks when you sign him. He's waving his hands, shooting out flare guns out in the ocean saying, please, Yankees. Sign me. Their friends are begging the Yankees to actually spend money. And Brian Cashman comes out and says, we're not going to spend on shortstops in the free agent market. Like, what? What What do you mean? You're just going to immediately shut that down before the offseason's even really begun? Like, Teams can't even talk to free agents until tomorrow. Thursday, if you're listening later on uh, on a future day, uh, November 10th. They're not even allowed to talk to free agents yet, and neither are other teams. And they're already coming out and saying, we're not going to be invested into this free agent market, specifically on shortstops. What? That's when you know that they're not spending money this offseason. Because Brian Cashman in years past, if you listen to his press conferences, he's always talking about how they are going to talk to teams and talk to free agents and just be opportunistic in how they build out their roster, which 
hey, you know what? That's not a bad idea as long as you're willing to spend money. No, 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 no. This year he comes out and says, we're not going after the best players on the market. Guys, the Yankees are complacent. They are okay with their processes, and here's the problem with that. Their processes might be better than some other teams, but guess what? It's never been the best process in any single year. And we're going on almost 15 years. Think about that. 15 years since the Yankees have been in the World Series. Almost. Almost. I think it's actually like 12 or 13. But we're getting close to that number. Like, that's that that's so beyond unacceptable especially when you factor in that they are showing no willingness to spend money. So Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner can talk about financial flexibility and sustainability and good processes all they want. It does not matter. They do not care that they came in second place in the American League. They're happy with a 99-win season. They're happy that they got the playoff revenue. That's really what it's about. They want playoff revenue, Yankees fans in the seats in Yankee Stadium. That is all they care about. Like, that has become so crystal clear with that press conference that he gave where he said that. And then on top of that, when asked about Aaron Judge and are you going to retain Aaron Judge... He says, no comment. He said, no comment. It's, it's, you know, I was hearing someone recently, I, 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 at work, there was this guest speaker, a Lieutenant Corporal from the United States Space Force. And he gave this really interesting speech. And he said that apathy is the enemy of progress. That was one of his core messages in his discussion. And can you convince me that this front office and ownership group is anything but apathetic right now? It's... It's borderline depressing to listen to this front office because, it, you know, I, I've defended Brian Cashman for years now on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever. And it's just, I don't know if I can do it anymore. I, I don't know if I can do it anymore. 516-876-4964 is the number to call. Again, that's 516-876-4964. I mean, Yankees fans, I know you're out there and I know you're listening because you tell me you are, unless you're lying to me. And if you're lying, then that's a whole nother thing. But call in. Am I, am I losing my mind? Am I becoming unhinged as a Yankees fan? Am I thinking too much about this? Am I digging 
too deep into the details here that probably aren't details at all? Or am I right? I, I really want to know from you guys what you think because I got to be honest. I'm struggling with this. And I have as little faith in Brian Cashman as I have had in a long, long time. It's really dark and gloomy for the Yankees right now compared to expectations. And speaking of dark and gloomy, to give you guys a little bit of a weather update. See, that was, okay, that was that was a good transition. That was a good transition. That one I'm patting myself on the back for. Good job. But speaking of dark and gloomy, with daylight savings, the sun is going down at 445 now. It's absurd. I hate it. But it is what it is, I suppose. But thankfully, we're not going to have any chance of rain in the Tri-State area for some time. It is going to be a little bit cold. Uh, the expectation, uh, based off what I was seeing earlier today, is that Friday would be rainy, but it would also be a little bit warmer. Saturday, you're going to have a little bit more sun. Sunday, a little bit of a mixed bag, partly cloudy and also in the 50s. But tomorrow, going to be beautiful in the 60s. Friday, going to be a little bit rainy, also in the 60s. Saturday, also going to be in the 60s, but partly sunny. And Sunday, to be determined. And that's going to feed into our football discussion, which we're going to talk about next here. We're going to talk a little bit about the Jets, how they beat the Buffalo Bills. Hey, they beat the Bills. So we'll, we'll talk about the weather coming up in the next few days as it pertains to the Giants, who will be playing. Right, They have a big matchup coming up, but we'll also talk about the Jets and how they beat the Bills. And then, like I said, at the top of the hour, we're going to have a discussion with one of my good friends that's all clued in on the World Cup. So all that and more here to go. Another hour and oh, 10 minutes or so here left to go on Sports Night with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. It's 4 a.m. Monday, and you're literally sucking baby snot through a tube because she's congested. Man, that's love. And if you love her that much, love her enough to make sure she's buckled in the right car seat. To make sure your child's in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is Bruce Keynes, the host of For Funk's Sake. Join me for my exclusive interview with singer, songwriter, producer, and master of the talk box, Swatkins. Swatty's new solo album, Friends and Other Necessities, just dropped. We chatted about his labor of love, collabs with Alan Stone, and switching from band guy to frontman. These jams will take you old school and new funk in one sitting. Join our conversation Friday, November 11th, 7 to 9 p.m. Hey, hey, what's up? This is Swatkins. My new album is called Friends and Other Necessities. Check out the music and catch my interview with Bruce Keynes Friday on For Funk's Sake. You're listening to OWWR, Old Westbury Web Radio.
52 here on the East Coast. And this song by Tame Impala, when we get to this part of the song, Let It Happen, I've been asked by people if the song's okay, if my computer's failing on me here. I've gotten a lot of questions because the soundtrack it does this weird repeat thing where it sounds like it's broken or like it's frozen in the middle of a song. Tame Impala, the absolute best. You're, it's like you're in another universe or another dimension when you listen to him. And speaking of another dimension, the Jets beating the Bills, I thought that was only possible in another dimension. But we, here we are, three days after they beat the Buffalo Bills at home. Who would have thought, right? But the Jets were very impressive. And specifically in the defensive side of the ball, they made Josh Allen look like his freshman or sophomore year, Josh Allen, who was not very good. A lot of people don't remember that version of Josh Allen because of how awesome he's been the past two and a half years, but he threw a lot of passes that looked a heck of a lot like Zach Wilson the week before. I talked about Zach Wilson and how he basically threw the game away for the Jets against the Patriots. Well, in a, to a much lesser extent, Josh Allen did that against the Jets. Right, the multiple interceptions. And in years past, you would probably tell yourself against the Jets, that's really bad. But there's this guy. Have you heard of him? Maybe. Maybe you've heard of him. I don't know. Have you heard of Sauce Gardner? Have you heard of that first-round pick? That uber-athletic, uber-elite cornerback prospect? Yeah, that guy? Yeah, yeah. Sauce Gardner is looking and going on a trajectory a la Darrell Rivas. I wish I had like sound effects where I could, it's just like a dong, like a hot take sound. But that would be the sound effect I would use right there. Sauce Gardner is becoming not just one of the best players on the defensive side of the ball, but he's becoming one of the leaders of the team. Like every time he gives an interview, I'm thoroughly impressed because he exudes confidence without coming off cocky, and he still finds a way to praise his teammates. And the guys come up to him during the interview and just shower him with love. Like, he is so impressive. And the defensive front for the Jets looks completely revamped from last year, right? Jermaine Johnson, Carl Lawson, those two guys primarily have made a world of a difference. So you're forcing quarterbacks to get out and to scramble a little more than they would have in years past. You can even throw John Franklin Myers into that equation as well. Those three guys are mostly healthy mostly effective and they're forcing quarterbacks to scramble. Now that feeds very well into Josh Allen's game. But when you have a linebacker like CJ Mosley, who's got this combination of size and speed 
that allows him to get to either sideline with speed, it gives you a chance against Josh Allen. And then when you've got a guy like Sauce Gardner who can defend, very effectively defend against Stephon Diggs, yeah, you're going to give yourself a chance to win. And DJ Reed shadowing Gabriel Davis with safety help along the top so that way Gabe Davis can't beat you on those go routes. I mean, this defense is legitimately good. And I think we've been waiting for this confirmation for a while now, but they've beaten some really good offenses. So I am all aboard the Jets' defensive train. I am there. I'm now the conductor of the Jets' defensive train. We are all on it. I hope you guys are too. And then I'm also really encouraged by what I saw from Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson did not lose this game for the Jets. And guess what? As ridiculous as it sounds, that's a step forward for them. Zach Wilson, a lot of his mistakes against the Patriots came on the fly when instead of throwing it out of bounds like he should have, he tried to force the ball down the field. Zach Wilson has playmaking ability. I've talked about this. He has moments that wow you. He's got those moments. He does not need to do it all the time, though. Sometimes it's better to take the sack. Sometimes it's better to throw it away. Sometimes it's better to scramble and get three or four yards and give yourself a chance on the next down rather than throw a deep ball to Corey Davis who can't beat a corner for his life. So that is much better from Zach Wilson. And frankly, I'm a little bit more confident in him now than before because he's showing progress against a very stout defensive team. Like that That's the biggest takeaway from that game. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. I'm going to have my good friend on. A little bit of a surprise. I'll tell you guys who it is. When we come back on the other side of this commercial break, it's Sports Night with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. Oh, Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Oh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom, come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Here at OWWR Old Westbury Web Radio, we are searching for new students who want to further their knowledge about radio production and programming. Whether you want to engineer, have your own show, or you're simply interested in being involved, OWWR Old Westbury Web Radio has what you're looking for. If you want to see what OWWR has to offer, come to the top floor of the Student Union in room 328. Give us a call at 516-628-5059 or visit us online at OWWRNY.org. You want to know what we're up to, and we want to interact with you. Watch your favorite hosts, live in the studio, 
Find out when we have exclusive interviews. It's all at your fingertips. Just follow us on Instagram at O-W-W-R-N-Y. That's Instagram at O-W-W-R-N-Y. Halloween may be different this year, but one thing that does remain the same, the DJ Kayla Show. Join me every Friday afternoon from 4 to 7 p.m. playing the latest and best in EDM and pop, as well as dance music from the 90s, 2000s, and classic 80s and 90s freestyle to kickstart your Halloween festivities. So don't forget to tune in to the DJ Kayla Show every Friday from 4 to 7 p.m. only on OWWR. Oh, that must be a trick-or-treater. Well, we are at the top of the 8 o'clock hour here on Sports Night with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. And I promised you guys that we would have a special segment on the World Cup because I don't think people realize we are days away, almost a week away from the World Cup. And that's hard to believe. Because we're so used to it being in July, but with COVID and delaying everything, we are here. But we have it. That's all that matters. And on the line today, I have a good friend of mine who I've known now for almost, well, about a year and a half, almost two years now. Met him at work. And I come to find out that he's got a massive following on Instagram and on TikTok as a soccer content creator, which, and then I saw his page and I, you know, at, because at first I was like a little skeptical. I'm like, yeah, maybe he's just saying that a lot of people say they're content creators. And then I look and I'm like, oh my God, he's got 350,000 followers on TikTok. So with that in mind, it's my pleasure to welcome my good friend, Mike Moraski onto the show. Mike, how are you doing today? Hey, Smith. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, you know, I wanted to bring you on because, you know, the World Cup is coming up, and I don't really think there's a whole lot of coverage on all the major media outlets for whatever reason. Like, I'm usually checking most of the major outlets to see what they're saying, what they're promoting, and the World Cup's not one of them. So, but there's a lot of curiosity out there. I know there is because I go on Twitter and I see a lot of people talking about soccer that wouldn't normally be talking about it. Um, so I thought that you would be the perfect person to talk about some of the things that I'm sure a lot of people are curious about. So I'll get into it here with you know my first question on the U.S. men's team because they are in the World Cup. Uh, that is a step forward from the previous World Cup, right? <laughs> but there are some questions and doubts as to the state of the team, the talent, and then also the injury situations on, on some of their key players. So, Mike, as we're going in, they're in Group B alongside Wales, England, and Iraq. Where Iran. do you... Th- Iran, excuse me, excuse me. All good. <laughs> Where do you think they stand right now? Yeah, well, I mean... First off, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but we're having this segment about three hours after uh, the U.S. announced their squad to go to the World Cup. So I don't know if you're aware of that. 
Oh, you, you, I, I absolutely plan that completely. Um, yeah, I, it is completely planned, Mike. So as of 5 p.m. Eastern time today, the U.S. announced their, their offer to go to the World Cup. And uh, like you said, with, with expectations, um, I, I think, especially for me and probably other U.S. men's uh, soccer fans out there, you want to at least get out of the group, right? So, like you said, they're in a group with Iran, England, and Wales. Um, England is probably the toughest, uh, obviously, out of that bunch. Uh, so, whether or not they can manage to, to get a result, a draw, or a win versus England remains to be seen. Um, but I, I think it's definitely very possible you could see them end up finishing second, uh, which would be good enough to advance the knockout stages. Are you concerned about the health of the squad, primarily some of the starters on the team that that might be dealing with some nagging injuries right now? You know, if they are persistent nagging injuries, does the U.S. men's team have the depth to, let's say, surpass Wales? Because I think we can safely say Iran is is probably not going to advance to the next stage. Do you think they're they're gonna be able to beat Wales? or at least tie with them if they have to go deep into their bench? Yeah, I, I think, like you so the good news is they, the, the first match is against Wales, so we'll be able to tell right away. The first game, Monday morning, is USA versus Wales. Um, so we'll get a pretty good indication then. Um, but, I mean, it, so many, many of these teams go to the World Cup have lingering injuries because, like you said uh, earlier, this is rare that it's coming up in the winter, mid-season. Usually, it's June, July. People have a month or two to recover after the season ends. Uh, and right now, they're kind of getting thrown into it. There are people that have matches this weekend, and then in less than two weeks, the World Cup starts, which is unheard of. Um, so, I mean, that every team is dealing with that. The good news is USA doesn't have too many lingering injuries. I mean, the normal stuff, a couple, like, knocks, nothing really too serious. Um there is one key man that's not going to be going to the World Cup, though. Um, not Tyler Adams. No, Chris Richards. Yeah. Um, he's uh, one of their star fullbacks, but he's not going to be going. I think he suffered a, a, a strained ankle or something a week or so ago. So they announced that he would not be in the club. Um, but it, it, during the World Cup, uh, any one of their star players picks up a serious injury and is not able to continue, that would definitely be a big blow because, like you mentioned, they don't really have that much depth um, to be able to replace somebody like that. I I couldn't agree more. So let's say that they reach a 50th to 60th percentile outcome, all right, so a roughly average outcome. Is, mm-hmm. is that going to be enough to, to advance? to be in the top two of the group? Um, I would say what they have to do is they definitely have to beat one of Iran and Wales, obviously. Right. If they can beat both of them, they're pretty much guaranteed to advance. Mm-hmm. If you beat one, and then if you can get a result from, sneak a result from England or the other one, you could possibly end up with four or five points, which I think would probably be good enough to get through. Um, but like I said, we'll, we'll be able to tell pretty quickly because their first game is against Wales. If Wales come out, beat the U.S., 
their odds of advancing are looking pretty slim because then we're staring down England coming up in a few days and banking on beating England, which is now the position you want to be in. We're talking with Mike Moraski, who's on TikTok. Um, I, I think I had the at, at Mike at Mike Waz underscore YT. So that's be sure it. to give him a follow on TikTok. Again, that's at Mike Waz, Mike, W-O-Z underscore Y-T. Mike, um, what is the biggest strength of the U.S. men's team going into this World Cup? Is it their strikers? Is it the midfield, their ability to control tempo, to control pace? I mean, what is the one thing that is the calling card for this team going into the World Cup? Yeah, that, that, I think that's probably their biggest problem is that they don't necessarily have an identity. Um, a lot of other teams, when you look at uh, a Germany, for example, really high pressure, fast pace for a lot of goals. Brazil, uh, they have great forwards, a lot of flair, play with fast and flair like that. Um, USA, they don't really have any tactical advantages or any specific identity. If you had to pinpoint one thing, I would say their defense is pretty strong. Uh, their center back, Zimmerman, has been pretty consistent in the MLS. And their goalkeeper, uh, Matt Turner, recently, as of a few months ago, made a move to the Premier League. He's actually the backup keeper for Arsenal now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I think if you had to pick out one thing, it, w- it would probably be their defense uh, looking to keep the opponent out as much as possible, let up a few goals to keep the game. I, I did not have this on the on the show sheet for you, and I apologize. So if you need time to think about this question, that's fine. But and I don't want to deviate too much from the World Cup, but I, I have to imagine there are listeners that are curious about the state of the MLS because you brought it up, and we keep hearing about it. You see it on ESPN. Where is the MLS compared to the major leagues in Europe? Like, is it is the gap closing there in the talent pool, uh, also the the financials pool? Like, where does the MLS stack up, and are they making inroads to become a more prestigious soccer league? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're definitely growing, and they will continue to. I'm glad that you mentioned two categories: one talent and to uh, financial-wise. So as of right now, financial-wise, the gap is, is ginormous. Because, um, mm. I mean, the main, the main way all these clubs make money is through TV rights. Right. And obviously the TV rights for the Premier League or La Liga, those, those rights are worth billions of dollars. And they bring hundreds of millions of revenue, dollars of revenue to clubs each year. And the MLS, their TV rights are worth nothing near that. And they probably won't be any time soon, to be honest. Um, so the good news is, though, I think in terms of talent, the gap is slightly closing. Um, you see a lot of kind of stars finishing their careers, jumping over to the MLS. It will be better if sooner they could get them before their end of the career. So, for example, there's rumors of even Messi over the next one to two years moving over to the MLS. And right. Miami, which is David Beckham's team. Um, Gareth Bale moved over to the MLS last year. Mm-hmm. They are getting some people that's for the tail end of their careers. Um, it would be better if in the future they could somehow find a way to get these stars to come up for a bit earlier and increase the talent pool that way. But it's definitely, at least with homegrown talent, uh, USA 
when you see it with an national team. So they, they have a lot of young players coming up that are, are going to be good in the next three, four, five years. They're pretty good right now, but as they develop further, when they get to become 25, 26, they'll be great players. And a lot of them are in the MLS. So definitely a, a lot of homegrown U.S. talent that will develop over the next few years. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I mean, this is not an American, but I remember Valentin Tati Cassianos, right? He was the most accomplished striker in the MLS with NYCFC and ended up going to a La Liga team, a La Liga side that is a team that usually gets relegated, but they are actually putting up competitive matchups and they're doing halfway decent in terms of their points scored. And Tati Cassianos is having a pretty successful season in La Liga. And as you mentioned, that's probably a, the second best league in terms of just pure talent throughout the league. So, you know, that alone, if you're getting players transferred out of the MLS into those, you know, the Premiership or into La Liga or into the Bundesliga, that's also a very good sign. Um, so I'm going to be curious to see if, if we see more transfers out of the MLS into prominent leagues throughout the world. Yeah. Getting back absolutely. Yeah, getting back to the World Cup for a second though. I want to get your take on on two things, some superlatives if you will. Who is the most talented team going? I'm not asking for a, a World Cup winner cuz that's almost impossible with some of the talent. Yeah. Who is on paper the most talented team going into the World Cup? Uh it, it, got to be Bruce. I mean, there's a reason why they're the head to win it. Um, you look at especially their forward line. They have Neymar, Gabriel Jim, uh, Rashad, and Gabriel Martin. Mm-hmm. Their, their forward line is the back, and it goes all the way back. Mitchell, you've got Casemiro, Luca Marquetta at the back, Piazza, Martina. I mean, just in terms of talent, Brazil is it, definitely top, and that is a why I think they're the one in the rankings right now, and also that they're going to the tournament. I, yeah, I see, I think a lot of people based off of years past, if they haven't watched soccer, they'd probably think that Brazil was one of the the dying teams, right, one of the older teams, like Argentina's a very old team, um, like Spain used to be a powerhouse, but they got old and, and had to take a step back, and you know, a lot of people think it's just the European teams that are really the superpowers, and that's not really the case. Um, you know, they're still very good and very competitive, as you will see in the World Cup, but um, I, I do have to agree with you, Mike. I do want to ask you one final question, though, and it kind of goes into who you think is the most underrated team. So the way I'll phrase it is, which team do you think has the best chance of surprising people at the World Cup? I'll, I'll answer that in, in two ways here. I'll tell you the most underrated team, and then I'll tell you a team I think that will shock the most people, and, and I'll explain my reasoning here. So I think the most underrated team that will impress some people is Canada. Canada hmm. has a lot of young forwards. They play with a lot of energy, a lot of pace, and, and they actually have some pretty good players. I mean, Alfonso Davies plays for Bayern Munich. Uh, they're forward. Jonathan David, he played, I believe, uh, for Lille in the French League. Um, they score a lot of goals. They create a lot of chances. Uh, I think Canada can open some eyeballs, but they are in a tough group with Belgium, Croatia, and even Morocco isn't bad. 
So uh, the questions remain if they can escape that group. But I I think as we've seen their group play, they'll open some eyes and people will realize they're actually going to be called squad. Okay, interesting. The the second part of that that I I wanted to add on, I think the team that will surprise the most people and kind of a dark horse in the tournament is Denmark. Denmark has been playing very well the past few months. And they're coming in a pretty weak group with Australia, Tunisia, and France is in there. But France hasn't played too well recently, and they have some pretty heavy injuries in their midfield. So I think it's possible we see Denmark top that group, France finish second, and Denmark can make fun of the knockout stages. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so does that mean that France is your team that you're looking out for as possibly the biggest disappointment in the World Cup, or is there another team? I, I could see that, yeah. And um, I would probably say if there was a team to underachieve, it would be France. Um, I know history, history tends to repeat itself, um, but it, there's a cool stat that I like looking at. If you look back at the previous four, it might just be five World Cup winners. Each of them have lost in the group stage and failed to advance to the knockout stage. In the wow. Next so if you go back Italy in 2006, they got knocked out in the group stages in 2010. Spain won in 2010. They lost the group stage in 2014. Yeah. Germany did so in 2014. They lost the group stage in 2018. So we'll see if that trend continues and France have a letdown in the group stages. And, and there's a lot of drama around that team, too. Like, do you remember that report? I mean, obviously you do, but for the people that don't, aren't that clued in, Paul Pogba and and uh, Mbappe. I mean, it, you know, that was yeah. like an example of like a lot of drama, right? And I don't, I don't have to yeah, get into the well, specifics I mean, of it. Mbappe, but. wherever he goes, the drama follows him. I mean, he's a billion-dollar man. It's all about him. He's the center of attention. So when something's not going his way, he, he likes to stir up some drama. Um, you mentioned Pugba. Pugba's one of the injuries. He, he won't actually be at the World Cup along with uh, N'Golo Conte in the midfield. So those were two big players in France's last World Cup run who are going to be missing out this time around. Yeah. It, it, you know, I, I try not to be so lockstep with people in their opinions when they call in but like I, I just feel like I genuinely agree with everything that you've said and I promise you we did not talk about this beforehand <laughs> he did not tell me what he was going to give for all these answers but um, you know it's good to at least get confirmation that I'm not losing my mind that I'm completely out there like I might be in fantasy football um, but Mike it's been really good having you on again and, and once again everyone go, give him a follow on TikTok he's got a lot of great content um, at Mike Waz that's yep. M-I-K-E-W-O-Z underscore Y-T on TikTok um, you can tell him that I told you to follow him and then he <laughs> will be obligated to follow you back no I'm kidding um, yeah, but, right, so if, you like, if you like soccer um, I get, or football if you're not in the U.S. And I, I like to make my content interactive and kind of gamify. I do different online games. I play FIFA, I do challenges. So um, if you like that type of stuff, definitely check out my TikTok and my Instagram. For sure. Well, Mike, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show. It, it's great to talk to you about the World Cup, and uh, hopefully we can have a, a nice World Cup here and uh, enjoy all the stuff that comes. Yeah, well, good news is it's less than two weeks away, so we'll, we'll know. I know. I know. It's going to be here before you know it. But, Mike, thank you once again for hopping on, and uh, best of luck with you and and your channel. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks, Mike. Talk soon. Yep.
Yeah, that's that's Mike Morask, everyone, at Mike Waz underscore YT on TikTok. He is just one of those guys that's just really clued in in soccer. And if I have any questions about soccer, I go to Mike Moraski at Mike Waz underscore YT. I've got to take a commercial breaks. So we'll be right back. We've got a few more stuff to talk about, a few more segments here. We're going to talk some fantasy football, a little bit of a continuation from last week's discussion on some of the stats to keep in mind when evaluating players. So it's going to be a continuation of that. That and more to come here on Sports Night with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. Halloween may be different this year, but one thing that does remain the same, the DJ Kayla Show. Join me every Friday afternoon from 4 to 7 p.m. playing the latest and best in EDM and pop, as well as dance music from the 90s, 2000s, and classic 80s and 90s freestyle to kickstart your Halloween festivities. So don't forget to tune in to the DJ Kayla Show every Friday from 4 to 7 p.m. only on OWWR. Oh, that must be a trick-or-treater. The Old Westbury men's basketball team is back on the court and ready to take on the Golden Eagles. Show your Panther pride on Tuesday, January 3rd, as the Panthers face off against St. Joseph's University of Long Island. Opening tip-off is at 7.30 p.m. in Patchogue. The team's success begins with the support of their fans, so show your Panther pride and take over SJU on Tuesday, January 3rd at 7.30 p.m. in Patchogue. For more information, visit OldWestBearPanthers.com. That's OldWestBearPanthers.com. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog, cat, giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe, uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to OWWR, Old Westbury Web Radio. You guys ready to talk some football? That's right. We are here to talk football and no, not soccer. We just had a soccer segment. No, we are talking American football. Sports Tonight with Smith, 823 here on the East Coast. Once again, please be sure to follow OWWR on Facebook at OWWR, on Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter at OWWRNY, and also... Be sure to visit our website, OWW. Wow. That's the first time I've ever messed up spelling, OWWR. But visit our website at OWWRNY.org. At the top, you're going to see a big schedule button. You're going to see all the upcoming shows in the coming weeks. It's going to be all informative. So everything you need is right there. So please be sure to give that a visit. Next time you're looking for OWWR web radio content. All right. So I hinted at this before we took the break. We're going to talk some fantasy football because last week we had a very thought-provoking discussion on some of the key metrics that teams and high-end fantasy football analysts use to determine 
player effectiveness. And specifically, I wanted to use a new website tool from 538. If you guys are familiar with Nate Silver, 538.com, they do a lot of polling for the elections, right? We had the midterms last night. Uh, looks like the Republicans are going to take the House. Uh, kind of a toss-up on the Senate. There's going to be a runoff in Georgia, which might determine that, right? But 538 was all over that. And they're also into sports analytics. So they do a lot of baseball analytics, basketball analytics, and now they're merging with ESPN analytics to do some football-related content. And what's interesting is that they came out with this new grade that takes into account a wide variety of different metrics, a lot of which were the metrics that I was telling you guys about last week, right? Yards per out run, air yard share for tight ends, red zone target share, right? All those things that we were looking at, yards after contact, yards created, uh, expected points added for quarterbacks. So 538 came out with this new tool that passes the sniff test. What I mean by that is when you look at how certain wide receivers grade on their scale, it makes sense that A.J. Brown would be the highest rated wide receiver in football this year, right? Like that just, that makes sense. And it makes sense that Tyreek Hill is second place, Tyler Lockett, third place, Stephon Diggs, fourth place. Chris Alave, fifth place. Tyler Boyd, sixth. So there are some interesting tidbits in there. But essentially what 538 does, and you can, it's all one word. You spell it out. You don't type in the numbers. 538.com forward slash NFL dash receiver rankings. That's where I am right now. They use all of those numbers and then some other metrics they get from NFL Next Gen Stats, which is proprietary information, to come up with three grades that are weighted and create a cumulative overall score. Those three, those three factors are open, catch, and yards after the catch. Right? That makes sense, right? Are you getting open to open yourself up to targets? If the answer is yes, you're going to have a high open score. Are you good at catching the football? Are you good at securing it? Do you not drop the ball? If the answer is yes to all those things, you're going to have a high catch score. And then lastly, do you break tackles after you have the catch? Do you evade tackles? If the answer is yes, your yards after the catch score is going to be high. And guess what? Crazy concept. If you're really good at each of those three things, you're going to be really good overall score. Wow, right? Crazy thought. But so A.J. Brown is the top-rated wide receiver in the National Football League based on this model that 538 has created. And what's really cool is that you can go back as far as 2017 to look at how all these wide receivers stack up. You can do multiple seasons. So if you want to look at cumulative five years, you'd see that Devontae Adams is one of the greatest wide receivers of all time already. Yes, I went there already. So it's a fascinating tool, and I would highly encourage everyone that's invested into fantasy football or likes to gamble. That would be another part of the analysis. Again, it's not the end-all, be-all. 
but I think it should be factored into your analysis. So that kind of brings me to my next point. I want to do some waiver wire pickups because last week I had a few people reach out after the games on Sunday and tell me that a lot of my waiver wire pickup suggestions from last week really hit. And I don't want to say I forgot that I had this segment last week, but uh, I forgot. (laughs) So last week I suggested three players and I'm going to suggest three players this week, but the three players from last week, Isaiah Pacheco from the chiefs, the thought process being that he was taking over the starting running back role on, Oh, I don't know the Kansas city chiefs that didn't really hit, but I think it's a good process play. And we're just going to keep playing Pacheco because he's going to have one of these weeks where he gets what Clyde Edwards hilarious used to get in terms of touchdowns. It's going to come. The efficiency's there and the touchdowns are going to come. I also recommended Josh Palmer. The idea being that he was going to be the number one wide receiver in a high-octane offense in the Los Angeles Chargers. And hey, guess what? Josh Palmer hit big time, right? If he was in your DFS lineups, you were ecstatic. If you were starting him in your fantasy lineups, you were ecstatic, right? He had that massive 23-yard gain to set up that game-winning field goal for Cameron Dicker, a.k.a. Dicker the kicker. That is a real... That is a real name. That is a real name. That's a real nickname. You know, I saw a really funny meme. You guys remember in the office when Dwight betrays Michael, goes to Jen and says that he should have the manager job, and he tells Michael to cover up for it that he's going to the dentist. Michael asks what his dentist name is, and he says, Crentist. Someone did the same thing, but instead of saying that, they said, oh, the Chargers are like, yeah, my kicker is named Cameron Dicker. And then Michael says, Dicker the kicker. And he goes, yes. Dwight goes, yes. It's, it's a great meme. Great meme. Go, go, go check it out on Twitter. And then another guy that I also targeted in waiver wires last week was the Titan Mitchell from the Lions. And hey, that one hit, right? He had two receptions, caught both passes. Scored a touchdown. We are really happy with that. Again, red zone target share matters for tight ends because tight ends don't score a lot of points. And red zones are where they typically do their most damage because they're big targets. Quarterbacks can just throw it up to them, and they can usually outreach everyone. And James Mitchell of the Lions did that last week. Secured a touchdown. He was a monster mega producer at Virginia Tech. And I don't see any reason why Brock Wright would be starting over James Mitchell. Go see what you have in the young man. He probably would have been a second or third round pick. The injuries not really derailed his final season in college. All right. So my three pickups for this week, pretty simple. Donovan Peoples-Jones on the Browns. Terrace Marshall on the Panthers. Isaiah Spiller on the Chargers. Now Donovan Peoples-Jones and Terrace Marshall are wide receivers that have one thing in common. They are uber-athletic players who did not get opportunities their first year or first two years in the NFL. They're finally getting their opportunities, and they're finally starting to break out, right? It's a crazy concept. If you're athletic, if you were a five-star prospect in high school and were either in a really good offense with other players and thus not allowed to produce, a la Terrace Marshall with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson at LSU, Or if you go to Michigan, like Donovan Peoples-Jones did, 
where Jim Harbaugh is allergic to good quarterback play and thus was not able to produce, you might find a diamond in the rough in the sixth round like the Cleveland Browns did. And here's the interesting tidbit. The Cleveland Browns have the largest analytics staff in the NFL. So that's just one little tidbit I'm going to throw in there. So they probably saw all the measurables that Donovan Peoples-Jones had at the Combine and said, yeah, we want that. And we want the guy that was the five-star Uber prospect that we can get in the sixth round because why not? Right? They got him in the sixth round of the 2020 draft, and now he's operating as a very efficient wide receiver too in an offense that's about to get Deshaun Watson back. So as much as of a play as Donovan Peoples-Jones is for this week against the Dolphins, you're looking at him and... God, is he going to be the deep ball? Is he going to be the Will Fuller of the Cleveland Browns when Deshaun Watson comes back? If that's the case, you got to go pick him up. You have to go pick up Donovan Peoples-Jones. Terrace Marshall is becoming the number two in Carolina. Carolina is not a good team. They're going to be in passing negative game scripts a lot. Terrace Marshall's getting up there in targets anywhere from 8 to 12. Also secured a touchdown last week. So we're all aboard the Terrace Marshall train. And then lastly, Isaiah Spiller. Now, Isaiah Spiller is another guy that was a draft pick for the Chargers, Chargers this year. Was a healthy scratch the first few weeks of the season. It was not looking good, but he finally got his opportunity last week. And I know it's against the Falcons defense, but he showed a propensity to break tackles. And guess what? We love guys that break tackles. We love guys that are big yak guys or yards after, you know, Yards after, yeah, essentially yards after contact for Isaiah Spiller. So we love that. We love guys that break tackles, and he's the backup in a high-powered offense. He could very well be the handcuff to Austin Eckler, Josh Kelly on the IR. He's more of a speculative stash. There's really not many running back waiver wire additions. I'm assuming Jeff Wilson's not on your waiver wire, but if he is, he would be the number one guy. But Isaiah Spiller would be the next guy in line there in a high-octane offense in the NFC West. So just something to stash away and to think about there. All right. So we're almost 25 minutes away from the conclusion of the show, which is hard to believe. It's been going by super, super fast. But we're having a lot of fun. We're going to have a little bit of a talk about the Nets and the Knicks. They're playing tonight. We're going to give you a score update when we come back on the other side of this commercial break. You're listening to Sports Night with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. The old Westbury men's basketball team is back on the court and ready to take on NYU. Show your Panther pride November 28th as the Panthers face off against the Vitals. Tip-off is at 7 o'clock p.m. in New York City at the Hunter Sportsplex. A team success begins with the support of their fans, so come out and take over NYU on November 28th at 7 o'clock p.m. For more information, visit OldWestburyPanthers.com. That's OldWestburyPanthers.com. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve. By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm Tony Fisma, and you're listening to Tunes with T. 
here on OWWR Old Westbury Web Radio. Every Thursday, we will be tuning in together from 1 to 2 p.m. I'll be hitting you with the latest and the oldest. Different week, different genre. Hey, maybe even a different language. Got some cool requests? Call in at 516-876-4964. I'll be playing the music. You'll be doing the tuning. I'm Tony Fiesman, and you're listening to Tunes with T here on OWWR Old Westbury Web Radio. Take a look at OWWR's YouTube page. Check out what goes on behind the scenes and view clips from your favorite on-air personalities. Yay! Subscribe to us at OWWR and don't forget to hit that bell. Yahoo! Check out our videos at OWWR. That's OWWR. fun tonight on Sports Night with Smith on OWWR Web Radio. You know, it's I I wanted the suspense of pulling up the Nets and Knicks game during the commercial break. I didn't want to know what the score was before going to break. And, you know, listen, I'm not a hardcore Knicks fan. And I'm not a hardcore Nets fan. I can appreciate both teams when they're doing well because I really don't have a horse in this race. Similar to the NFL, I I really don't have a preference between the Jets and Giants. I'm not one of those tyrannical, maniacal fans of the Giants. I know a lot of Yankees fans are Giants fans and Mets fans are Jets fans, right? It's usually... Yankees, Giants, Rangers, Knicks, I guess. And then it's Nets, Jets, Islanders or Devils and whoever else. I don't I don't even know. The Nets, Jets, Mets. Try saying that three times in a row. Nets, Jets, Mets, Nets, Jets, Mets, Nets, Jets, Mets. 838 here in the Old Westbury Web Radio Station studio. And the score right now, as I was getting to, Nets are up by 21 with just over two minutes to go in the second quarter. That's interesting because the Nets have been the talk of the town for all the wrong reasons. The Knicks have been relatively under the radar, which is hard to do if you're a Knicks team, but I guess that's that's the world that we live in now that the Knicks are the team without the drama, and the Nets are the team with the drama. <laughs> When's the last time that I can ever say that with a straight face? But, you know, the Nets are are putting it up. Kevin Durant, 15 points. Edmund Summer, who's filling in for Kyrie Irving, who's suspended, 13 points in 11 minutes. Yeah, we'll take that. Seth, Seth Curry, Steph Curry's brother, 14 minutes and 7 minutes. You guys want to guess how many points Ben Simmons has? I'll give you a hint. It's a single-digit number. It's a round number. You get the idea. Ben Simmons, 10 minutes, zero points. Five rebounds, though, two assists. Hey, that's better than what he's been doing in past games, I, I 
guess. God, the, the Nets are so sad. It's a sad situation going on in Brooklyn because this team has talent, right? Like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on talent alone are a top three duo in the league. Is that even a stretch? I, I don't think that's a stretch. On talent alone, you're talking about two of the top what? In in Kyrie's case, uh, probably top 10. And in Katie's case, probably top five still, even at 34. But, you know, the rest of the team has been struggling. They, they've been very top-heavy. They've had a lot of drama. They fired Steve Nash. Like, they... <laughs> I talked about this last week, so I'm not going to delve into it too much. But this team almost traded away Kevin Durant to keep Steve Nash. Like, that's just incomprehensible. But the Nets did announce that Jacques Vaughn, who has been a head coach in the past and was an interim coach for the Nets when they fired Kenny Atkinson, will serve as the interim coach once again. And I got to be honest, I really like this move. I'm happy they did not go with Ime Udoka. The battled and questionable coach for the Celtics who's been suspended for the year. I'm happy they went in this direction. I think Jack Vaughn, based off what I've read, is a guy that really understands how to handle personalities, which is interesting because he's never really had to do that. He was with the Magic for all those years when they were really bad, and well, they still are bad, but... You get the idea. And when the Nets were in the bubble, he was their coach. And they played hard for him. They played hard for him. So I think they could have done a lot worse. I'm happy that they got Jack Vaughn. It's it's a non-drama-filled hire. And they're taking care of business with Kyrie. Listen, you can say what you want about what Kyrie posted. I was not a fan of it. Some of you on Twitter have been interesting. You've said that there's some truth to what he's to what is being said and conveyed in those posts, but it's not the format or the place or the way to approach it. Listen, I don't know enough about what is being discussed to really give an honest opinion there, so I'm going to refrain. But I have people that I trust that say it was truly problematic, that it's not the NBA going above and beyond their scope to shut someone down that doesn't agree on their mainline issues. Because believe me, there's a lot of bullying into believing uh, what the NBA wants to put out there amongst the players. There's a lot of, there's a, yeah, I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And Kyrie doesn't really fit that bill, and that's a problem for the NBA. But apparently what he did post was was offensive. So I, I will I will leave it at that. I trust those people that are telling me that. And, you know, listen, they're coming up with an action plan to get them back on track. They can put that on in public and say, hey, these are the steps that we're taking with Kyrie to make sure that he understands that what he did was wrong. And when he comes back, he's going to be fully ready to go. And, you know, that was acceptable, in my opinion. I thought that was the right way to go about it. And now with the hiring of Jack Vaughn and now the fact that they're absolutely killing it right now. Now they're up by 25 at halftime against the Knicks. I think they could be heading in the right direction. Dare I say that? 
We do have a call coming in, though, so I'm going to take that real quick. Um, hi, who's calling in? This is Nicholas Mott, one of the hosts for What's the Score? Oh, Nicholas, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. I hear your show. You're doing really well, so congratulations on uh, running your own program. I appreciate that. I'm, hey, I'm learning. Hey, I have to steal from the best, right? I have to learn from the best, right? <laughs> First time, long time listener. <laughs> I appreciate it, buddy. What's on your mind? Anyway, I need something from Kyrie, and I had some things to say on Sunday morning about the topic, and I'll give you my two cents, and I'll hang up and listen. Sure. But, um, yeah, man, you're hitting the nail right in the head about Kyrie Irving. Um, I feel, and you know, WFA and Boomer Sison feels that he should take the rest of the year off to really reassess and kind of just take a really deep dive into his psyche and kind of figure out, like, what he really wants and, you know, how he really feels. I know the guy likes the ball, and he's, you know, excellent when he's on the court, right? He's a 25-point-per-game kind of dude. He really puts it in. He really puts in the, uh, the sweat. But, um, yeah, not to really kind of uh, sound like uh, not to really go on, but, um, yeah, I feel like he should take the rest of the year off, kind of reassess and reevaluate himself and – see what happens from there. I, I don't feel that the Nets should put him back on the court this year. I really don't. Well, you know, the Nets are in a difficult position because I think that if it doesn't work out this year, they are going to be forced to trade away KD. They're going to be forced to trade away Kyrie. And I think what they are going for is they want to show a strong stance on Kyrie and to suspend someone for a social media post for an entire season would be a precedent that's never been set before. So I think they're trying to tread that line of showing that it's unacceptable to post what he posted, which you can have your own opinion on that, whatever. Yep. And also trying to understand that he needs to be on the court and show that he's still very good in order to get any kind of resemblance of a return for him if you were to any trade him. And he is because he was putting up like 20-something points before he went out. But, you know, Smith, this isn't this the first time that something like this has surrounded Kyrie. I mean, I remember during, um, I think it was the 20, it was shortly after the Capitol riots where he like removed himself from the game for like a month. And yeah. that too was unacceptable because I, I remember at the time that he wasn't letting Steve Nash or whomever the head coach was at the time, like where he was and what he was doing. You know, it was just... Mm -hmm. I don't know. This is like a second or third occurrence um, for Kyrene. And you're right that uh, there's a fine line that the Nets organization has to tread with Kyrie. But I don't know, man. This is just a recurring thing. Yeah. I mean, I've likened Kyrie to he's the he he's the Kanye of the NBA. I mean, Literally. we we love him. We love what he does professionally. And then it's just an absolute circus beyond that. Um, I mean, listen, he's a top 10 player in the league. Like, I don't yeah. really think that's a top question. Five. And it's, you know, it, it's that question of, like, how much of it are you willing to deal with? And yeah. I think for the longest time, teams were willing to look past those issues that just seemed to crop up, whether it was Cleveland or Boston and, and now in Brooklyn. And I, I think the prevailing thought when Kyrie came here was, well, you know, he's from New York City. Well, uh, more specifically, like Jersey City. But, you know, he's from the area. He's happy to be home with his family. And, and maybe that kind of grounds him a little bit. And that just really hasn't happened. 
So, listen, I think it was worthwhile to give a shot at the time. I think they've been very patient with him. But, you know, if if they're looking and they're five games under 500 come the trade deadline, I don't see why you would hold the team to – I mean, I listen, I get the Eastern Conference is light, as it always is, and you always have a shot. But I think at the very least come this offseason, they're going to have to have those difficult discussions. Um, and I, I do, I do think, I, I think I'm with you on the fact that it's becoming too much of a headache for the Nets to deal with. Yep, I, I agree. Yeah. Well, listen, um, um I have to take a commercial break, so I'm gonna have to let you go, but, sure. um, really appreciate you calling in buddy. Um, okay. and we'll talk soon and we're gonna have to get you on this, I, I guess at, at some point, like a special guest where we can just pick your brain on a bunch of different that sounds stuff. Sounds like a lot of fun. Absolutely. Got to pitch it forward to the uh, old professor there. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to come over, man. I miss you here on Wednesdays. I remember you were my very – I was your co-host, and you're probably like, who the hell is this kid that's coming on to my show? (laughs) So you you had enough faith to go out there and and let that happen. So I'm I'm always grateful to you for that one. We're going to talk hockey. I'll be ready for that. Oh, boy. Uh, That that part I'm going to have to do some research on, admittedly. (laughs) Let's go, Rangers. Take care. Have a good night. Thanks, Nick. Take care, buddy. Yeah, Nick is uh, Nick is really the guy that stuck his foot out there for me and said, "Yeah, I I, I want him on the on the radio show." So I, I really am very appreciative to Nick for that one. All right, I have to take a break here. The producer's gonna kill me if this goes on any longer. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. We'll finish out with some Nick's talk. We've got some less drama than the Nets, but there are still some things to talk about. Some news that came out, some rumors and whatnot. So. All that to finish out the show. Almost done. 10 minutes to go on Sports Night with Smith here on OWWR Web Radio. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Old Westbury women's basketball team is facing off against the Farmingdale State College Rams in Farmingdale, New York. On Tuesday, November 29th, tip-off is at 6 o'clock p.m. Come out and support your Old Westbury Lady Panthers. That's Tuesday, November 29th at 6 o'clock p.m. at Farmingdale State College. For more information, visit OldWestburyPanthers.com. That's OldWestburyPanthers.com. You're listening to the greatest college radio station in the nation, OWWR, Old Westbury Web Radio. Finishing out Sports Night with Smith on OWWR on a high note. Be sure to follow OWWR on Facebook at OWWR, on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at OWWRNY, and be sure to visit our website at OWWRNY.org. If you want to call in onto the show for the final uh, five or six minutes or so, give us a call, 516-876-4964. Big shout out to my friend, Nick Bailey who really got me my start here at the station uh, back in July at this point. I mean, that's kind of wild to think about. 
Well, again, I want to thank each of you for listening in tonight. It's been great talking and sharing my probably terrible opinions with each of you. And what better way to finish it out than to talk about the New York Knicks? And look, the Knicks are 5-5. Five and five. They're a team that is probably going to make the playoffs just by virtue of the Eastern Conference. It's not good again, right? You've got the Bucks, who are 9-1. and one. They are the cream of the crop. They are probably one of the top two or three teams in the NBA. The Cavaliers really shocking a lot of people. Donovan Mitchell really making an impact. They're second place in the Eastern Conference at 8-2. And, and then you've got the Celtics Hawks, 7-3. and three. Raptors and Bulls, both with six, six wins. So it really starts to fall off once you get to five. All the way down to really... Uh, let's see, 12th place where Miami is four and seven. That that seems a bit of a aberration there. But, you know, listen, this is a winnable conference. You can absolutely get into the playoffs with a losing record, it seems like, just like you have been in years past. And, and listen, anything can happen in the playoffs. I think the NBA is a little bit more predictable than Major League Baseball or the NFL. Because I think five players on the court at one time and you play a best of seven series, at some point the LeBron Jameses and Giannis and Tunamakumbos are going to stand out and they're going to make the difference. And that brings me to my next point about the Knicks to really close out the show is, you know, listen, the Knicks are a good team with a lot of good players. Here's the issue with that, though. A collection of good players, which is basically the 2020 version of the Knicks, is not good enough to win a playoff series against the team that has a difference maker. Right? The Knicks don't have a LeBron or KD, even Kyrie. They, 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 they don't have that kind of player. I think a lot of people have wished casted R.J. Barrett to be that player. He has not be, become that player in... A, a long time now. We're, I mean, we're looking at three seasons now of R.J. Barrett being a good player. Julius Randle, good player. Jalen Guyton, probably a very, uh, probably a very good player. Probably a very good player, but at the same time, not a star. And th like that's really what I'm getting at is they do not have that difference maker. I, I, I think I said Jalen Guy. I meant to say Jalen Brunson. My, my apologies. But they just don't have that true difference maker. Despite people wanting to be R.J. Barrett and even Julius Randle, they, they don't have it. And so a report comes out today that the Knicks would be interested in Anthony Davis if the Lakers were to make him available. And, like, my question is why? Like, Anthony Davis is, I think, the capitulation of a excellent player that's not a super megastar. Like, if the Knicks could just get a super megastar, this team would be amongst the favorites in the Eastern Conference because they don't have to trade away players to become an elite team. They can trade away picks. Leon Rose has done a very, very good job of accumulating picks. They have 11 
first-round picks in the next seven years. All right? 11 first-round picks in the next seven years. So you can get a super megastar if they're available. I'm a little surprised they didn't go after Donovan Mitchell. He's certainly showing out to be a super megastar in Cleveland. He's from New York. He's a mega Mets fan. I believe his father still works for the Mets, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, you had every possible connection and way to make that happen. They did not make it happen. So I have to imagine that they are waiting for that guy that they want, that super megastar, to become available. And that report today indicated it was Anthony Davis. And you know what? I'm I'm not crazy about it. I'm not crazy about it. I'm curious what you guys think. I mean, I know we're not going to have time to go through your phone calls, but if you want to at me on Twitter to talk about this, reach out to me. At Smith Brickner. It's all one word. Again, that's at Smith Brickner. You can reach out to me on Twitter. We can talk about it. Um, if you also want to comment on the Spotify podcast that comes out later tonight and give me a comment there, that's also fine. I want to hear what you guys have to say because... Honestly, I I just don't think the Knicks are prepared to play anyone of significance in the playoffs right now. Like, they're 1-3 in three against teams that made serious runs in the playoffs last year, and they're getting annihilated by the Nets that have Kevin Durant. Like, I know we've been talking about the Nets as this piss-poor, bad-vibes team, but Look, they still have Kevin Durant. They can still win any given night because they have Kevin Durant. The Knicks they just don't have that right now. So, you know, does that happen the deadline? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's going to. I think it's going to be a frustrating season because you just expect a little bit more of this team and it just never comes together. So, I look, I hope I'm wrong. I, I'd love to see the Knicks and Nets go at it and have significant playoff basketball. I'd love to see it happen. I'm not betting on it, though. It will be interesting to see what they do at the deadline, if there's any moves to make. Do they buy? Do they sell? What do they do? But, listen, everyone, that's going to do it for this show of Sports Tonight with Smith on OWWR Web Radio. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with all of you guys again tonight. We'll be back at it next week at 7 o'clock here on OWWR Web Radio. We'll see you later, everyone. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today, I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit adoptuskids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. We might not be as good as Charlie D'Amelio, but we still know how to dance. 
Watch our hosts at OWWR Old Westbury Web Radio get their groove on. Just follow us on TikTok at OWWRNY. That's OWWRNY on TikTok.